Hi. Today, I'd like to give you a few reasons why every follower of Jesus needs to be familiar with Bible prophecy concerning the end of the age and the return of Jesus. Then, I'd like to talk a little about what it means to be biblically watchful. I'll start off by conveying to you a few unfortunate instances of misguided understanding. On November 18, 1978, 909 people who thought they were living in a time when the end of the world was imminent followed the direction of their spiritual leader, James Jones, and drank deadly cyanide-laced grape-flavored Kool-Aid. Many of these people would have told you that they are Christians. It took each of them an average of five terrible minutes to die. Tragically, 303 of them were children. They were all completely deceived by their teacher. On April 19, 1993, following a 51-day standoff, 75 followers of the Branch Davidian faith and their leader, David Koresh, perished in a fire. The fire started after the FBI fatally decided to end the standoff by launching a tear gas attack. The Branch Davidian cult was an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist religion. They had all bought in to false end times teaching. The results of these falsely held beliefs and the horrific consequences speak for themselves. On March 26, 1997, the bodies of 39 men and women were discovered in Rancho Santa Fe, California. This is close to San Diego. Each had done the unthinkable and had just ingested cyanide and arsenic in order to pass from this life and reach what they believed was an alien spacecraft following the comet Hale-Bopp, which was at the time... It was showing its brightest in the nighttime sky. The 38 Heaven's Gate cult members believed the teachings of their leader, Marshall Applewhite. He asserted that the earth was about to be, quote, recycled, unquote, and that the only way to survive the process was to leave the planet. These concepts, held deep down at the existential core level of these people, held no truth whatsoever. The recycling of the earth and spaceships chasing comets were not a part of what Jesus taught is going to happen. In another example, it's undeniable that the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of the Old Testament did not come to life and return to the earth by the end of the 1920s. Yet, the leader of the Watchtower organization of that time, Judge Joseph Franklin Rutherford, maintained that this would occur. So much so that the organization purchased a San Diego home for the patriarchs to live in. Today's Jehovah Witnesses cling to the same principles of prophetic interpretation that deceived the followers of their religion in the 1920s. According to the 2013 Yearbook of Jehovah Witnesses, there are approximately 7.53 million practicing Jehovah Witnesses in the world. Their entire religion is based on a version of end times teaching that is not what Jesus taught. Many who claim to be followers of Jesus have attempted to name the day and hour of Jesus' return. That's in direct conflict with what Jesus said. In the eyes of non-believers, this has done great damage to the reputation of Christianity. William Miller, a Baptist convert and the founder of the Seventh-day Adventist religion, stated that Jesus was going to return between March 21, 1843 and March 21, 1844. He gathered a following of mainstream church-going Baptists, Methodists, 
and Presbyterians, all adherents to his belief. By 1844, over 100,000 people were counting on Miller's interpretation of prophetic scripture and how they were living their lives, namely, that Jesus would return by March 21, 1844. When his prediction didn't come true, he modified the date to be October 22nd. When Jesus again failed to return, many became very disillusioned. All of those people chose to ignore the words of Jesus, who in referencing his own return said, No one knows the day or hour. The late Harold Camping was an American Christian radio broadcaster, author, and evangelist. Mr. Camping gained a great deal of notoriety and a worldwide following for his multiple famous failed predictions on when Jesus would return to the earth. His latest prediction was that the rapture would take place on May 21, 2011, and that the end of the world would occur five months later on, on October 21, 2011. Camping said that approximately 200 million inhabitants of the earth would be raptured. It was estimated that his organization, Family Radio, spent about $5 million on billboards proclaiming Camping's predictions. Mr. Camping was not independently wealthy. That money was donated by many deceived followers who would call themselves Christians. Many of them were convinced that the times we live in are what the Bible terms as the last days. Bad predictions, misuse of scripture, and deception regarding the second advent of Jesus have been going on for thousands of years. Both the chosen and the lost are looking for answers. And where there's lack of accurate information and teaching, they're buying in to false teaching. It's very troubling that those who preach and teach a false picture of the events surrounding the return of Christ, regardless of their good intentions, are contributing to great confusion and the deceiving of Christians. When the events of the tribulation actually unfold one day, those that sit under such false teachers may not recognize what's going on and become disillusioned. What a terrible thing it would be for believers to suffer unnecessary persecution because of a lack of knowledge. Worse yet, how terrible it would be for them to fall away from the faith because wrong teaching from within the church has deceived them. Unthinkable? Unfortunately, no. Scripture teaches that such deception will happen, and on a large scale. I did a Google search uh, back in 2014 when I was researching for this book, and it turned up some interesting results. As you consider the popularity of this subject among the masses, remember the word hit means the number of links to web pages containing the words typed into the search engine. It's not the number of people actually searching out those words. This is what I found. When I typed in apocalyptic books, I got 90,600,000 hits. Apocalyptic TV shows resulted in 8,330,000 hits. Apocalyptic movies, 56,300,000 hits. And the term end of the world resulted in 2,110,000 hits. Yeah, that's 2.1 billion with a B. So why are people searching for answers on this important topic on the internet? Why don't Christians have better knowledge of what Jesus said in regards to his return? It seems like the end of the world as we know it, the judgment of the lost, 
and the return of the Messiah will be an important enough future event that people would like to know the real story and what's supposed to occur. Why is this topic so often downplayed and avoided today within the church? One might think the prophecies were poorly communicated or too difficult for mere humans to understand. Maybe God has lost track of time and people have lost their interest in Jesus' return. God is a poor communicator. God can't tell time. Is that blasphemy? Uh, Indeed, those ideas may be, but it's only paraphrasing common ideas people have in regard to the study of end times events. Our God is not a poor communicator. He created time, space, matter, and all of reality that's including the very language that gave man the ability to understand him. The books that make up the Holy Bible were written down by men in the common, everyday language of the time, with the expectation that lay people would understand it. On the Mount of Olives, as Jesus was talking about his own return in response to his disciples' questions, he was speaking plainly to them. They were, after all, just common people. Just as people communicate with each other every day, Jesus used imagery, common sayings, and metaphors. Most people who lived during the time of Jesus, who had any familiarity with Old Testament scriptures and the history of the Jews, would have had no problem understanding him. Any failure to understand biblical prophecy is our own failure. It's mainly a failure of a result of not applying consistent rules of interpretation that we apply elsewhere when we are attempting to understand the Bible. What do we do? We consider the time period it was written during, the nuances of the original language, the context, the culture, the history, etc. It's been a failure of allowing the Scripture to speak for itself. Instead, with good intentions, people try to make prophecy fit into the boxes of tradition. They look to the teaching of particular seminaries or systems that are the result of someone else's poor methods of understanding Scripture, which were built upon another's faulty theories that they received from yet another, etc. There's many reasons believers appear to be disinterested or apathetic about the study of the second advent of Jesus. On more than one occasion, a pastor has said to me that the book of Revelation is so complicated and so difficult to understand that it should only be studied after one has mastered the rest of the Bible. I'll tell you, to me, that's just another way of saying, hey, don't ever plan on studying the book of Revelation. So if you were attending that pastor's church, do you think you would feel capable of studying prophetic scriptures on your own? Probably not. Additionally, there are church leaders who claim matters of prophecy are just too controversial to discuss and can lead to discord among members of the body of Christ. No one agrees as to how prophecy should be interpreted. Therefore, we tend to stay away from the subject. Well, that's just another way of saying that they choose to argue about other things, like salvation by faith rather than works, or free will versus election. Submersion versus sprinkling. Baptism, grape juice versus wine. Raising hands versus kneeling. Oh, what's some others? Speaking in tongues versus taking up serpents. Tithing, hymns versus praise choruses. 
casseroles versus finger foods and what color of carpet to put in the sanctuary. You know, any other highly controversial issues in the church. Anything instead of making the second coming of Christ a part of their basic education in their church. Since many mainstream Christians in America still believe that Christians will suddenly be raptured without any signs or warning ahead of time, they don't see the point in studying prophetic scriptures. They don't believe pertain to them. They believe those scriptures will be more important to those who have been, quote, left behind, unquote. In his book, Jesus' Final Warning, radio show host and author Dr. David Jeremiah recommends that when the believer is confronted by someone who says that they're not interested in prophecy, we should read to them Luke 12:56 and show them how Jesus labeled such people hypocrites. In that scripture, Jesus makes a point that some people place more importance on accurately predicting the weather than they do understanding the predictions found in the Bible. For some, Avoiding prophecy may be a failure of wanting to accept the truth, because sometimes the truth is really hard to hear. The truth may cause fear. I've never seen it, but I've heard that ostriches do the same thing when they get scared. They bury their heads under the sand. Apocalyptophobia is a real thing. It's the fear of the end of the world. For the Christian, this is an especially baseless fear. Only this age ends not the world. Those whom are in Jesus, although they may experience some temporary, albeit severe, hardships and suffering, they come out way, way ahead. Another people avoid studying biblical prophecy is that the truth is just sometimes not sensational enough for some. Many fail to understand that the terrible things that fill the headlines every day are simply the result of living in a fallen world. So rather than being aware and watchful for specific signs Jesus actually gave us, many in history, and many today, choose to see themselves in a fictional period of time they think to be the end of the age. It's kind of like interpreting Bible prophecy by the headlines of the newspaper or internet today. After all, aren't things worse now than ever? Aren't we seeing prophecy fulfilled every day? as some televangelists tell us? Knowingly, I'm sounding cliche here, I gotta say, I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that one. In their craving for excitement, they ignore prophetic scripture and instead buy into conspiracy theories that are echoed across talk radio stations and seen on social media. It seems the wilder the theory, the better. How about this this example I used in the book? And this is several years ago now. Don't all shootings in the movie theaters and schools and threats of gun control tie in with my suspicions that the president is a radicalized Muslim who is covertly trying to aid ISIS in destroying the West and taking over the world in the name of the Islamic Antichrist. Don't think the conspiracy theories have gotten any better in the last few years. They're contributing heavily to division in our culture today and are thriving today among Christians. Whether you're on the left, a liberal Democrat, or on the right, a conservative Republican, wherever you are on that spectrum, you're forced to deal with conspiracies dealing with everything from so-called deep state, or how the COVID-19 vaccine will be used to control the world, 
to, we'll all be underwater in five years if we keep eating hamburger. You know, the world is an exciting enough place to live without involving my or other people's imaginations to create an apocalyptic facade around me. Perhaps so few want to be associated with the study of end times prophecy because there has been so much misunderstanding, improper interpretation, speculation, predictions, and confusion over it. Personally, I'm always hesitant of telling people that I've extensively studied biblical prophecy because of the stigmas and prejudices that go along with the label. Being labeled a prophecy buff or an end times nut is approximately the same in many people's minds as being labeled a conspiracy theorist. Some, having learned that I'm a student of biblical prophecy, have immediately responded with a smile and quoting scripture that no man knows when Jesus will return. As if the purpose of studying prophecy is to determine the date of Jesus' return. It is not. Given the importance and relevance of the Lord of the universe returning to this planet, most people could stand to at least examine that event in relation to other priorities in life. I'm not just talking about recreation and relaxation activities. There are also those who would say, I'm too busy serving the Lord to understand what the Bible has to say about His second coming. It's all about saving souls, teaching others, and feeding people. Serving God in such ways is great. But what other critical information about the God that these folks say they are serving don't they know? Understanding what Jesus and the prophets had to say about His coming should be a part of every Christian's basic discipleship education. Passing on all that Jesus taught, after all, was and is part of the so-called Great Commission. Jesus was quite clear when he commanded his followers to watch for his return. Many Christians are indeed anxious to follow what they believe to be the commands of Jesus. Many people seem to have their favorite commands, which are easy to follow or provide them with gratification. In the past, it's been trendy to put a lot of thought into what would Jesus do as we attempt to follow Christ. But many Christians would never think to ask, what would Jesus do in regards to studying and understanding prophecy? Since there is only one Jesus, and he has the unique role, especially in regards to his second coming, I I tend to think more along the lines of a different saying. What would Jesus have me A finite, sinning human, saved by grace, with unique DNA and life experiences, who cannot walk on water or ascend into the heavenlies on my own, do. I know that phrase just doesn't sing, and it probably wouldn't fit on a plastic bracelet, and it's not as easy to remember as WWJD. However, in the case of the return of Jesus, the answer to this question would be to watch just as Jesus commanded. That's what he'd have me do. Unfortunately, all of the reasons I just gave for not being well-versed at what the Bible has to say about the return of Jesus stand as evidence of one of Satan's greatest success stories in the last 2,000 years of church history. What an utter tragedy and failure of the organization that claims to represent Jesus, the church. Believers and non-believers are both searching for answers and are ready to be taught. Those who claim to be disciples of Christ should have inside knowledge of what's going on in God's world and should be ready to give answers to those who ask. 
They should be familiar with Christ's teaching so they can strike down the lies of the deceiver who seems to be especially active in the area of end times misinformation. Prophetic passages such as the Olivet Discourse provide believers with the answers they need on this important topic. One would expect that a true child of God would have a great interest in what he has to say regarding Jesus' return on earth. Biblical prophecy will be of the utmost interest to those followers of Christ who are truly living at the end of this present age. If we are those people, we need to pay extra close attention. If the Messiah does not return in our lifetime, then a true disciple of Christ should feel equally as compelled to pass on to the next generation accurate teaching regarding the prophetic scriptures. Jesus' words to his disciples on the Mount of Olives during the week he would be crucified was out of his own desire to impart essential information that he thought was critical for his followers to know. Representatives of Jesus should have answers for others based on that information. He said to his followers, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. That's found in Matthew 5, 14-15. We are encouraged, even commanded in Scripture, to be watchful. The Olivet Discourse gives us essential information regarding being watchful. To attempt watching without it is like leaving on a trip when you don't know where the destination is. If you don't know where you're going, how are you going to know what signs to watch for that will inform you when you arrive? What did Jesus mean when he commanded his disciples to watch? Did he intend for his followers throughout time to hypothesize and speculate in what manner his return would manifest? Did he mean for them to put together a system that could predict the date of his return? Possibly he meant for us to trust someone else to figure out what he means and maybe read a book from time to time on his second coming. Or perhaps he meant something much different. Perhaps he was only saying to be alert and lead a sober life, be ready to meet him whenever he would happen to sneak up on us, possibly catching us backsliding. Although there is other encouragement in the New Testament to be watchful, By far, the most encouragement per square inch comes from Jesus when he spoke to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. There's several different Greek words used in the New Testament for the English word watch. When Jesus told his disciples to be watchful in reference to his second coming, the writers of the Gospels mainly used two different Greek words to convey the idea of watchfulness. One of those words is blepo. It's a primary verb meaning to look at. Blepo is translated in the King James Version of the Bible as the words behold, beware, look, perceive, regard, see, sight, take heed. Blepo can mean to be intent on something, or focused on something, or to earnestly contemplate something. I believe that when blepo is used in Scripture, the reader or hearer should look at what's being referred to with more than their eyes. They need to contemplate, focus, and pay close attention. The second Greek word Jesus used regularly in speaking of his return is gregorio, meaning to keep awake or watch, either literally or figuratively. Gregorio is translated in the King James as the words be vigilant, be wake, be watchful, 
Its uses in the New Testament are both spiritual and physical applications. This word, more than blepo, seems to be more a physically proactive form of watchfulness, like being on guard for something, or being on the lookout, or staying awake and alert. According to Luke's Gospel, there were two additional watchful words that were used in order to convey what Jesus said to his disciples during the Olivet Discourse. Prosecho was used in Luke 21.34. That word means to hold the mind, to pay attention to, to be cautious about, to apply oneself to or adhere to. The other word Luke used to convey what Jesus meant by watch is found in Luke 21.36. That word, agrupino, means to be sleepless or keep awake. The command to watch is repeated many times. In the Mark 13 account of the Olivet Discourse, the Greek word blepo is used six times. In the Luke account, twice, and two times in Matthew 24. Gregorio is used three times in Mark 13, two times in Matthew 24. The specific words used for watch vary a little from gospel to gospel because three different writers chose what they thought was the best way to convey the meaning of the words of Jesus. Those words were probably originally spoken by Jesus in the Aramaic language, then translated into the written language of the common first century Greek by the different gospel writers, Hebrew in Matthew's case, of course. In all cases, where the words differ, they still mean basically the same thing and are somewhat interchangeable given the repetition of the words and the theme of the passage. They all are communicating that Jesus was really trying to stress his point when he said, Stay awake. Don't miss this. Pay attention. Focus. And be on the lookout for what I am instructing you about. As you can see by the amount of times Jesus uses terms for being alert, awake, aware, on guard, and watchful within the Olivet Discourse, the message is clear. Watch. Well, what's it mean to be watchful? A simple definition of watchfulness would be putting wisdom and our knowledge of Scripture into action while we live with expectancy of the return of Christ. The spectrum of watchfulness within the church ranges from the fanatical sensationalism on the one end, seeing prophecies fulfilled every day, to the other, equally off-balance approach of taking watchfulness to simply mean that we are merely to live sober Christian lives up until the Lord returns. Whereas the former end of the spectrum contributes to deception and false alarms, the latter promotes an okay lifestyle, but leaves people open to being deceived. Allow me to build for you a metaphorical, watchful, three-legged stool. There may be more or fewer legs of this watchful stool I want to build for you here, depending on how you divide it up. But the three categories, or legs, as I'm referring to them, are about as basic as I can reduce this important topic down to. The first leg we'll call knowledge. The first category of being watchful is to know what is in the Bible. In regards to the Olivet Discourse, that means to know the signs that will accompany Jesus' coming. As most know very well, the book of Revelation abounds with such signs. The Olivet Discourse is replete with signs as well. We'll see that many of those signs mentioned in both passages are referring to the same sign. This first leg of the stool also includes the inverse idea of knowing what to watch for. It may be even more important to know what are not signs of his coming. 
Jesus tells us there are things to watch for. After he lists a set of future events, Jesus says of his coming, So likewise ye, when you see all these things, know that the end is near, even at the doors. That's found in Matthew 24, 33. As if Jesus is saying there is no excuse to miss the clarity of what the things are, he says, Behold, I have told you before. That's in Matthew 24, 25. Look, I showed you before. You know, why are you missing these things if I've showed you? The number of, quote, things, unquote, to know about and watch for are few and easy to learn. They'll be difficult to mistake when they occur. There's little that's more important than knowing what is in God's Word. The words contained in the Bible are foundational to how we construct the rest of our lives. To base our lives on anything less than the truth is a waste of the one life that we're given as a gift from God. Be watchful. Guard against deception by knowing God's Word. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about, seeking whom he may devour. The second leg of the watchful stool is about being wise and paying attention being on guard for deception, and watching for the signs that are contained in the Scripture. So once we know about the information contained in the Bible, the practical application of watchfulness is to wisely pay attention to the world around us. We are to constantly be on the lookout for deception. If something or someone in the world is feeding you information that seems to be contrary to what the Bible has taught, be careful. In my own life, I find that a major application of this type of watchfulness is pointing out sensationalism created by some, apathy about important issues on the part of others, misinterpretation of Bible prophecy, and hoaxes designed to play on people's fears, ignorance, and emotions. Playing on people's fears and ignorance sells books and causes them to send in their, quote, seed faith, unquote, money. Fear and lack of knowledge causes people to eagerly tune in to the latest Nostradamus special or How the World Will End series or How to Interpret the Latest Postings of the Q on the Internet. Jesus starts out his answer to his disciples on the Mount of Olives with the following words. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. That's in Matthew 24, 4. Guarding against deception is not possible without the first leg of the stool, knowledge of Scripture. In general, the Christian is to guard against all types of false teaching. In the Olivet Discourse, even though it deals specifically with matters of the Second Coming, I believe it includes both encouragement to guard against false teaching having to do with the Second Coming as well as all other doctrinal matters. Jesus stresses the importance of watchfulness when he states that deception will be so intense that even the elect, the chosen followers of Christ, could be misled. His words, found in Matthew 24, 24, say, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. The enemy, Satan, has been a deceiver since the Garden of Eden. As far as Satan's interaction with human beings, deception that misleads people into turning away from God's truth 
is his primary function in the universe. The Bible promises that right up to the end, Satan will be such a deceiver. The defense against deception is to know the truth beforehand. Then be alert and watchful for things that don't line up with the truth. Do you know the prophecies well enough to recognize when God's intentionally not provided us with details? Can you tell when humans are filling in the blanks with speculation? I'm convinced that this is a great deal of what Jesus is talking about when he refers to false prophets, people that attempt to provide detail where God intentionally gives none. They are filling in the blanks. This may take the form of a second coming date setting, or it may take the form of getting specific and attempting to name the Antichrist, or be specific about where he comes from before he is revealed. Forcing details where there are none can misguide believers as they watch for the return of Jesus. Beyond this, filling in details where there are none in the Bible, or adding human, quote, wisdom, unquote, regarding morality and how to live out our lives, may be one of the leading causes of division among those Jesus has called to follow him, especially when people come to view those non-divinely provided details as important truths. Such practices may be at least partially to blame for the 30,000 to 45,000 different Protestant denominations in existence today. People want to fill in details because we're curious. Curious enough to cause 2 billion hits on the internet for a search on the end of the world. Filling in details where God chose us not to give us any is a dangerous business. Besides getting really close to qualifying for being a false prophecy, those details can end up misleading many people. Acts of prophecy embellishing aid and abet Satan, the great deceiver, by distracting Christians away from watching for what they should be watching for, biblical signs. Instead, those that don't know any better chase after synthesized human theories. Have you ever read a book or seen a form that had a page that said, this page intentionally left blank? I believe sometimes God has intentionally left pages blank and left out details that we would like to have filled in, and so people tend to fill them in. Watchful stool leg number three, abiding in Christ. Being watchful is to live with constant expectancy that Jesus will return soon. This third essential watchful principle is all about how we approach abiding in Christ or occupying ourselves with his business until we see him in person either in our death or at his coming. Enduring until the end, while we act on behalf of Jesus in his absence, is another strong theme of the Olivet Discourse. There was a strong emphasis on watching for the return of Jesus up until about the 4th century A.D. Things changed when Rome embraced the church. Jesus very seldom spoke about prophecies without somehow relating them to the believer's conduct in the present. He gave us guidelines about how to live right up until the end. Due to the position of the sun in the solar system and the rotation of the earth, about a third of the world stands a good chance of being physically asleep in their beds at the final trumpet, which will signal Christ's return. But Jesus is not speaking of physical sleep when he says to stay awake and be alert. He's calling us to be watchful in a way that his followers would not be ashamed or embarrassed of if he were to walk in the door at any moment. His desire is that he'll return and find us being about his business as good and faithful servants. 
So prior to my retirement, I worked for a medium to large size county sheriff's office for over 25 years. I spent 14 of those years as a deputy sheriff and then started promoting my way up through the ranks, retiring as the chief deputy. I had several different assignments as a deputy sheriff, but always worked in corrections. When I was assigned to the electronic surveillance program, the office door I had faced another door down a hallway. It was always closed. It led to the lobby. My desk sat in direct view of that door. But at any given moment, if the receptionist pushed the button to unlock the door, anyone could come walking through that door without any warning whatsoever. What a gratifying moment it was when somebody like my boss's boss came through the door, and I was obviously up to my neck in productive pursuits that benefited my employer and demonstrated my enthusiasm for earning the public's trust through fiscal responsibility. What a different feeling it would have been if I were to have temporarily forgotten where I was. Then when my boss came walking through the door, I had my shoes off, my feet up on the desk, the radio blaring, playing a game on the county computer while throwing potato chips at my coworker. Uh, that didn't often happen. Uh, my master, in this case my boss's boss, would no doubt be very unhappy with what he found when he dropped in. The Bible is full of descriptions and instructions on exactly what the master's business is that he wants us to be taking care of in his absence. As he has placed his servants in every walk of life, in every area of the world, in every economic situation, what that business is will look different for everyone. Attempting to tell followers of Jesus exactly what to do in regards to the master's business is actually a great strength and focus of many 21st century churches. It's also the great weakness of many. Whether or not the message of what believers should be doing while the master is away has been correct is an entirely different other matter. In fact, that's a main topic in the current book I'm writing. Regardless, a watchful stool will not easily stand on this one leg alone. We must also be knowledgeable of Scripture and apply that knowledge to the world around us in godly wisdom. There are, of course, many end-times fanatics within the church. Being watchful does not include sitting on your rooftop with your eye to the sky. It does include careful discernment of the times we live in in light of what the Scriptures have to say. It does not include being fanatical about prophecy and consumed by end-times books. But familiarity with scriptures regarding the return of Christ is essential in the life of the believer. There is balance in God's universe. On the other end of the spectrum, apart from the fanatics, not much time passes between the times I hear some Christians trying to downplay the importance of future prophetic events. These well-intending believers attempt to make a case about how followers of Christ should be focusing our energy on how to get along in this world and best walk with Christ here and now. Well, I agree that we need to be present and deal with what God has placed before us this day. However, one cannot accomplish successfully living here and now as a Christian if one is living for here and now as a Christian. To paraphrase my wife Angela's wise words, an authentic Christian will live for Christ and not for Christianity. Too many citizens of the kingdom of God are overly concerned with living as citizens of this present earth, here and now, and not more about the there and then. 
how to live debt-free, how to resolve trouble in relationships, live a victorious life, a life free of health problems where putting your faith into action will allow God to shower you with blessings. There's much to be said for applying Scripture to our day-to-day lives. However, if we believers would place our focus and hearts more on the world to come that God has in store for us, many of our current day problems would take care of themselves, or, at the very least, become less important to us. Let me ask you something. What if you're going to live forever in a world where you had all the wealth you were ever going to require and you were never going to get sick? Let me take that fantasy a little further. What if in that world you had superpowers in addition to living forever and having all the wealth you would ever need? How would this change the way most think about their temporary troubles if their minds truly dwelled on such things? Well, the thing is, the day you were reborn into God's family, that fantasy became a reality that will one day be realized. One's particular views on matters of eschatology, the study of end times events, greatly affects what one's doctrinal views are going to be across the board. For example, many amillennialists, the belief that there's not literally a future thousand-year kingdom of Jesus on this earth, they believe that we are living in an age where Satan is bound up and is not a factor in this present age. If that were the case, all the rest of their doctrines are influenced by that belief. Is Satan a spiritual influence in our day or not? How could he be if he's currently bound up in hell? Then there's the very popular idea in the church of a secret or a pre-tribulation rapture that most evangelical Christians believe in. We see along with that belief and in the Tim LaHaye Left Behind series, that there is a second chance doctrine that those who are, quote, left behind, unquote, will still have a chance to become saved. That, as we will see, is a claim without scriptural basis. In summary, ever since Jesus' feet left the Mount of Olives and he ascended into the clouds, people have been looking for answers regarding his second coming and the end of the age. Because of a lack of knowledge and false teaching, Many have been deceived regarding these things. There's been much misunderstanding as to the proper use of biblical prophecy that's led to a great deal of false teaching. Even though it's the Bible itself that warns us of this, it also tells us that this deception will continue into the future and, in fact, get worse. As servants of Jesus, we are to be lights to the world and ready with answers regarding God's plan when people have questions. We are commanded to be watchful pending the return of Jesus, to know the signs of his coming, to be on guard for deception, and to be about his business as any good and faithful servant would be. Finally, how we approach end times prophecies will affect our approach to life as believers in Christ here and now, as well as in the future. Well, that about wraps it up for now. Before I set the historical scene of the Olivet Discourse, next time, I'll talk about the real purpose of prophecy, and there will be a quiz. Well, thanks for listening, and God bless. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H. Ministries, and I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at DougHooley.com, or email me at Doug at DougHooley.com. That's Doug at D-O-U-G-H-O-O-L-E-Y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. 
So long and God bless.